If you haven't really figured it out yet, we're a church that believes in prayer. We are founded on prayer. I think there are two essential things for the child of God that you cannot truly follow Jesus without it. That is a healthy partaking of the Word of God each and every day and a very fervent time of prayer that you set aside to commune with God. Amen? I want to talk about an aspect of that today that I think sometimes is missed. I want to talk about prayer and the relation of praise with prayer. So just go with me, if you would, for just a little bit. Praise in the English language, we only have one word. That's praise. In the Hebrew language, there are seven words for praise. So I want to go through them quickly. The first is Barak. And most of these you will find in Psalms. Some you'll find in the prophets. They're scattered all throughout the Old Testament. But the first word for praise is Barak. And it refers to on bended knee or kneeling to give God praise. The second is Zamar. Zamar is a word used to denote music for the praise of God. Three is Yoda. Yoda is a description of one lifting your hands to praise God. Four is Toda. Toda is like Yoda, except you add music. So it denotes you raising your hands as you are singing or making melody to God. Amen? I'm not going to try to make melody this morning to God. That's just my personal time. That's for nobody. It really wouldn't seem like praise if you heard me try to make melody. Five, Shabbat. Shabbat is a loud, spontaneous praise, like a hallelujah or a woo. Amen? If anybody ever sat close to Wanda here at the front, you know what Shabbat praise is. Amen? Shabbat. Six is Halil. Halil is one that kind of maybe seem a little out of character, a little out of sorts. Strong's Concordance describes it as almost crazy. The form of praise I'm talking about was demonstrated by David when he came into the city and he was dancing. There again, I'm not going to halil praise this morning because it would look ugly. It would look ugly. But there are times sometimes when you see people or you have it experienced even in this church. Maybe you see someone down here that's just weeping or, or they're raising their hand. or they're, 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 To me, that's, that's halil. Can't exactly explain it. Maybe it's something you feel uncomfortable with. I don't know why. Because nothing, no real praise to God is going to be out of order. And I'll be honest with you, I think there's a lot of times those of us that got stuck in tradition over the years, maybe we need to let God allow our spiritual hair down a little bit. And definitely don't look down our noses at those that are. Amen? The Bible says we have liberty in Jesus. Amen? So, the first point to praise 
and to this message is that praise really does one important thing. It gets the focus off ourselves and on God. Our praise begins to get the focus off of ourself and on God. Now the seventh word for praise, and this is my second point, and that's getting into the presence of God. And that is a word pronounced Tehillah. Tehillah praise. It is a deep, personal Him, if you would, or a story that relates to your relationship with God. We find Tehillah praise in Psalm 100 verse 4. It says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. That praise there is Toda. So imagine yourself at the tabernacle or the temple as they come through the outer gates, lifting their hands and singing praises to God. That's Toda praise. That's what he's using right there. Then it goes on to say, and enter his courts with praise. That is Tehillah praise. It, it denotes that the closer you get from the outer gates to the center of the tabernacle where the presence of God was, if you remember in the Old Testament, in the Holy of Holies. We enter to his gates with thanksgiving and praise and all sorts of praise. But as we begin to enter the presence of God, it is a deeper and is a more personal, is a more reverent praise. Now remember, this is in relation to prayer. You can have all different kind of praises happening all at the same time. But I'm going to tell you something. The closer you get to the presence of God, the more there's just a, a bowing down. There's just a, a reverence. There's just a thing that begins to happen. And you all in this room that have experienced that, and this is the way you pray, you know exactly what I'm talking about. To heal a praise. Psalm 22, verse 3. But you are holy, and you inhabit the praises of Israel. That is Tehillah praise. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. That is the praise that God himself says he inhabits. A Greek word that closely associates to this word, is O'Day. And you find it in a couple verses. There was a lot of shakeup between the word from Hebrew to Greek. In my studies this past couple weeks, it, it was interesting to find that the disciples used a particular word in writing that just simply states a new song. Because the word that would have normally translated, it was used in that day and time to the pagan gods. And they wanted no interaction with that. Now that's amazing. It made me kind of think of this day and time. Isn't it something? You can pray, but just make sure you say God. Because we don't want to offend anybody. Right? It's just a side note here. But I'll, I'll tell you, for, for your information... 
I want everybody, including the devil, to know I'm praying to Jesus. I ain't praying to Allah. I'm not praying to Buddha. I'm not praying to some Hindu God. I am praying to the one true living God. Amen? But basically, Tehillah is talking about a new song, something that God has done personally with you, with you and for you. Now, there is a couple old hymns that is dear to me, and I believe these hymns came out of the writers experiencing this deep, felt Tehillah praise, and I'm just going to read you about these songs. The first is Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace was written by an Englishman who in the early part of his life was an outspoken atheist, a libertine, a slave trader. John Newton was born in London in 1725, the son of a Puritan mother and a stern ship commander, father, who took him to sea when he was 11 years old. By 17. 45, Newton was enlisted in the slave trade, running captured slaves from Africa to Charleston, South Carolina. After he rode out a terrible storm at sea in 1748, he found faith in Jesus Christ. He was ordained an Anglican priest in 1764 and became an important voice in the English abolitionist movement. At that time, he wrote an autobiographical hymn titled Amazing Grace. Now you think about John Newton in his time of prayer. Recounting his life and thanking God Almighty for saving him in the midst of his sinful life. Can you imagine him there knelt on his knees praying and God reminded him where he brought him from? And he wrote these words, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We can all identify with that. But I'm telling you something. We can't identify with exactly what John Newton was feeling when God saved him. How many deaths do you think he was responsible for? How many people do you think he just throwed off the side of the ship because they died on the way? And God saved him and he put this song in his heart. It's a deep-seated thing between just you and God. It is well with my soul. Most of these stories you already know, but I'm just telling you anyway. Horatio Spafford was a successful lawyer and businessman in Chicago with a lovely wife named Anna. He had five children. God, in his mercy and kindness, allowed the business to flourish after losing so much during the Great Fire of Chicago. And on November 21, 1873, his family boarded a French ocean liner and set sail for Europe with 313 passengers on board. He, Mr. Spafford, was required to stay behind for some unexpected business problems. Told his wife he was going to get another ship in the next few days and come there. About four days into the journey, the ship collided with another ship. And within 12 minutes, it sank beneath the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, carrying 226 of the passengers, including his four daughters, to the bottom. 
a sailor rowing a small boat by observed some people, and he pulled one woman out, and it was his wife, Anna. A big ship came and picked up the survivors. When she got to Europe, she sent a message to him. Saved alone, what shall I do? Spafford booked another ship and sailed immediately. After four days at sail, the captain come and got him and said, you wanted to know where the ship went down, this is it. And he had another daughter later in life, and she's the one that reported this, that it was at that moment over the place where his four daughters died that he penned the words to the song, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. See, those are not songs that someone just sit around in a cafe one day thinking, "How? what can we write? These songs came out of a deep Tehillah praise for God Almighty for what he's done. One for saving him, the other, while he was a believer, had a horrible tragedy. But yet God and his presence was so profound in his life that he was able to say, no matter what my lot, holy God, I will praise you. I will honor you. God loves to hear that kind of praise. God inhabits that kind of praise when we're willing to praise him even in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a terrible time. Amen? You have a new song. You have a song. You have a hymn, you have a story that no one else has. Oh, it might not make it to the top of the charts, and they might not be singing it and thinking about it a hundred years from now, but I'm going to tell you what, God loves it. The angels love it. In Luke 12, 2, Jesus said, The angels rejoice. That was Luke 15, 10, if you're looking. Jesus says the angels rejoice over one sinner who repents. Nobody knows exactly where you were at when God found you, but you and God. No one knows exactly what was going on in your life when God found you, except you and God. Nobody knows what all he forgave you of except you and God. You and me can spend the rest of our life kneeling down. Not that we're recalling our sin, but we're just saying, thank you, God. Something comes to our mind, and we remember something that we've done. And all of a sudden, Tehillah praise comes up, and he says, thank you, God. Praise you for bringing me out of that. Praise you for saving me through that and forgiving me. That's Tehillah praise. Now, what's that got to do with prayer? Let me remind you what Jesus said when asked how shall we pray? This is Luke 12, 2. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Hallowed be thy name. 
Hallowed means to be made holy as he manifests himself. In other words, you might have read that God was holy. Someone may have told you that God was holy and that he was righteous, that he forgives sins, that he was all of this stuff. You may have heard that. You may even believe that. But oh, once it happens, once it happens, you have now experienced redemption. You have experienced the holiness of God. You have experienced the righteousness of God. And then and only then can you say, my Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, holy to me. Your holiness came in and cleansed me. It found me in the depths of my sin. You should look at it a little different now. So to heal a praise, hallowed be his name. They're doing the same thing. They are bringing out of the depths of our hearts, our minds, a praise to God that only we can have and identify with him on a personal level. I'll tell you something else about that praise. That's the praise God inhabits. And if God allows that, I want it every day in my life. If God will inhabit my praise and my thanksgiving and my prayers, I want that, don't you? God loves to hear your story. When you say that story, when you sing that story as it was, when you present that to him continually, he loves to hear that. That honors God. That gives glory to God. And he inhabits that praise. Number three in the four points is Terry Till you be endued with power. Terry, till you be endued with power. Luke 24, 49. This is Jesus just before he leaves this earth. This is what he says to his disciples. Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Talking about the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city and tarry there until you be endued with power. So many times people have the question, how long should I pray? How long should we wait on God? How long this or how what? There's a lot. I'm telling you, nobody... Nobody can tell you the details. It's just something you got to jump in there and do. You just have to experience God. And the more you experience Him, and the closer you draw to Him, and the closer He draws to you, your life will begin to change, your prayer life will begin to change, and guess what? You'll tarry as long as it takes. Because when you get used to operating under the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll want it. You don't want to walk without it. You don't want to go without it. 
You can't do ministry without it. You can't do a real work without it. I can stand up here and recite Bible verses all day long, but unless the Holy Spirit takes over and implants it in your heart, it's like a tinkling cymbal and a sounding brass. Or on the other hand, I can stand over here and I can learn some kind of prayer and I can read that prayer all day long. But unless it is biblical and infused with the power of the Holy Spirit, it does nothing. Don't even get past our ceiling. So why, why, why praise that way? Why desire the power of the Holy Spirit? What are we doing it for? What are we waiting on? Among other things, this is one, and this is extremely important. Labor for the harvest. Matthew 9, 37, 38. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, continuing on, right before Jesus left, after he said, wait in Jerusalem to be endued with power, he goes on to say this, and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning here at Jerusalem. In other words, preach the word beginning right where you're at. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says you will be doing you will be endued with power for what reason that you will be my witnesses. When you begin to have a prayer life that God inhabits, when you begin to have your own personal experiences every day, day in and day out, where you experience the presence of God, let me tell you something. That is your reward. You can go into your prayer closet with a list of things I want, but if you get into Tehillah praise, if you begin to hallow His name, you begin to call on Him, and He begins to surround you, guess what? The things of this world become strangely dim. The list you thought you wanted you no longer have has changed your whole perspective on things. You watch and you see these people that seem like they work tirelessly for the cause of Christ. They go out and, and do all these other things and God's bringing in the harvest. And if there's ever been a place that God's bringing in the harvest, it's right here at Pursuit right now, today. Just look at these young people, amen. Look at the people we're baptizing. We're going to baptize another one today. That's the harvest. God's doing something through each and every one of us. Why would we not want more? Why would we not want more power? Why would we not want to be more witnesses? God's bringing them in. He's raising them up. Look at these young people. Some of these young people over the course of the last couple years, we have watched them come from a young age to standing on that stage and preaching the gospel. Isn't that right, John and Jen? My goodness. Pray the Father for the laborers because the 
harvest is ripe. He's doing it. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. The point is, is that we as so-called Christians, so-called followers of Christ, we leave so much on the table. God has so much more for us. The problem is we're content to live without it. We're content to live without it. In this country, four pollsters, two Christian, two secular polls. See, if you go by your standard poll in this country, about 75 to 80% claim to be Christians. But when you dig a little deeper, which these four polls did, they wanted to find out if people went to church, if they actually read the Bible and believed it. If they believed that Jesus was the only way, man, those percentages go way down. Between 7 and 9% of the people in this country Do you know that in 2014, 47,000 people died from opiate drug overdose? 2016, it climbed to over 59,000. And that hits close to home to a lot of you right here in this room. Either with yourself or with somebody you know or a child. Addictions are rapid. The most precious thing that we will ever handle is the human soul. There is not a Sunday that goes by that people are not in this building right here praying that God show himself to you. That somehow Jesus Christ would let all the distractions come out of your life so that you can hear a life-changing word. We don't take that lightly. But the point is, we can't do anything about it except the power of the Holy Spirit do it. That's what we pray for. That's why we spend 21 days of prayer and fasting. That's why we pray every day. I need the Holy Spirit. My words are nothing except they're empowered by Him because your soul is worth it. You look around you, there's a good chance there's a lot of people in this room right now that don't even understand what I'm talking about. Except the Holy Spirit impress this word on you and draw you out from where you are and break those chains. You will continue to live in complacency. But what a sad day it is. When people that call themselves Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, if we make it to heaven, you realize that he had the depths beyond our imagination of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've been playing around in ankle-deep water. He called us to be fishers of men. And we're goofing around on the shore because we don't want to get our feet wet. 